we've got a devilicious little Kickstarter here for all you geeks and ghouls for the Halloween season. Throwing Horns. It's a light RPG of devils, demons, and metal. You play a literal band of demons touring the best and worst venues in hell. The promoter, or aka the GM, will guide you on the tour and throw encounters in your path, which you can overcome in the most metal ways possible. Use head-banging tunes, your demonic commanding presence, or just good old-fashioned violence to beat encounters and continue. This is a Kickstarter from a friend of ours that only has through the month of October to raise its funds, so definitely go to throwinghornsrpg.com or just hit up the link on our homepage at gypodcast.com. Donate, get some extra stuff if you reach the right tier of donation, and keep on throwing them horns. The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks and ghouls, and welcome to another fantastic, spooktacular episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from the world. And tonight we've got a slightly different kind of approach to the uh, to the show. We are getting deep and dark into the dark universe. For those unfamiliar with how that works, the dark universe is a cinematic universe, much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but using the universal monsters, as we're talking Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, Wolfman, Invisible Man, Phantom of the Opera, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Hyde. You've got The Man Who Laughs. is kind of questionable because sure. it wasn't actually universal yet, but it was the same company that became sure. universal. Well, same thing with Jekyll and Hyde, honestly. Yep. Yeah. But they've all been kind of considered that early golden era of horror movie monsters. And so it's been discussed and there's been multiple times where they've tried to start the cinematic universe over the years. And every time it just doesn't really seem to pick up steam. There was, I think 2010 was the Wolfman movie came out with uh, uh, um, Uh, Benicio Del Del Toro. Toro. Yeah. Yeah. And And, Anthony Hopkins. And wasn't, I don't, I think it doesn't get enough credit. It wasn't great. No. But it wasn't bad. I I think the real problem with the uh, with the Wolfman remake was that they decided to go uh, all CGI for the transformation sequences when yeah. American Werewolf in uh, in London proved a long time ago that really you practical. should be doing practical Absolutely. with this as much as possible. 2010 that was really kind of that era of CGI. Not oh, it's really... the uncanny valley. Yeah. It was the tipping point. Yeah. So uh, we're, between 2000 2010, that was really the area where they weren't really doing that combination of practical and CGI effects, right. which is kind of like just the go-to now. Yeah. And that's why CGI holds up better nowadays. It's a combination of the two. Yeah. Like, um, oh, what's his name with uh, Mad Max? George Miller's uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, he combined a lot, uh, a lot of practical and amazing stunt work. And then there was digital effects that sort of filled out the landscape mm-hmm. and kind of like 
in the edges of it to the point where you didn't notice that there was a break. A, uh, there was a difference between the two. Sure. And I think in this era, if you're going to do cinematic horror and you've got the uh, option to do like truly disturbing body horror, like mm -hmm. thing levels of body horror, sure. you need to use both. Definitely. Yeah. And speaking about uh, filling out the environment, yeah. the person here to help me talk about all things Dark Universe and the Universal Monsters, a, a longtime helper here on this show and many others on the network. We've got Jack here. Hey, how you doing? Jack the Dungeon Master. Yeah. <laughs> here to, uh, yeah. I'm Spread the existential horror to more than one venue. Definitely. <laughs> I am Mike the Hobbit, the host of Smack My Pitch Up, co-runner of the Geeks Under the Influence Network. Check out all our stuff at GUIPodcast.com. And let's get into it. Now, yeah. how this differs from a normal show is normally we talk about like the uh, the director and then the director kind of informs the tone and then we get into the casting. Now, the aspects of that are still going to be happening here. But yeah. because we're talking about a multiverse, I think we're going to be focusing more on like the storyline, how they interconnect with each other, mm -hmm. the kind of like how the movies are formatted. And there's going to be a lot of shared actors between the different movies. Right. So we're not casting all the movies, every actor in all the movies like that. We'd... We we would have to do an entire series just to do that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> this is just kind of like a light touch on kind of how all these pieces are going to be fit together. Kind of like how they did with the most recent version of the Dark Universe. They they cast the major actors mm -hmm. first and then worried about story. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, that was a successful it's formula. Very successful. <laughs> definitely. Now, I'm thinking offhand the times that they've tried to do this, the cinematic universe, and there was the, like, I Frankenstein era, Well, and then there was, like, uh, Dracula Ascending or something. Let, let's, let's be fair. There, it was a cinematic universe in the golden era, because sure. there were crossovers in the original sure. movies. I mean, uh, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman was out in the 40s. Yeah. So the original movies did have a shared universe. Sure. They just didn't give a shit about canon as they were making it. No. Um, so let's call that one the original dark universe. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, now, there was definitely an attempt to do it again in the late, uh, the late 1990s. But uh, in the mid-90s, there was a bunch of other studios that were trying to make their, like, prestige horror films in the vein of, like, Shakespearean drama but with, like, bigger budget for horror movies. Yeah. And that's how you get, like, Bram, uh, 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 Francis Ford Coppola making Dracula and sure. Kenneth Branagh making Frankenstein, and which they were intending to make a third movie that kind of, like, blended that style. Sure. Of, I think, The Wolfman was the original plan before Branagh's Frankenstein totally flopped. Oh, flopped hard. Yeah. Um, so, but that was all Fox. But they were working off of, like, you know, that's uh, um, open license for those properties. Sure. They weren't making Universal's Dracula. They were making uh, uh, Bram Stoker's sure. you, Dracula. Sure, they're not doing a, like, knockoff of Bela Lugosi in this right. thing. Sure. So, like, I think, like, between Fox and Universal trying to revive the properties in the 90s, that, that we can call that, the like, the second attempt. Sure. Because Fox was definitely trying to connect, if nothing else the feeling of prestige horror and universal was trying to like create a property that they could invest multiple actors and directors into. Um, and then I think we've got the third one came around with Dracula untold. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Dracula untold. And, um, well, the invisible man now supposedly is part of the dark universe, 
But The Mummy with Tom Cruise was the official like launch of the Dark Universe, where as uh, Dracula Untold was sort of like a soft launch. Sure. Uh, they said that it was part of it, and they tried to do that 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 scene with Charles Dance at the end that that connected it into the bigger Dark Universe, but. Officially, according to like the director of Dracula Untold and most of the cast, they didn't consider it part of a shared universe and they didn't sign on for a shared universe. Well, that's one of those that Universal's been very like back and forth about whether things are or aren't intended to be part of a shared universe because pr I think primarily because they want to be like, nope, that wasn't our intention. So yeah, it's a flop. They, they're hedging their bets. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, if you're going to do this sort of thing, you should... Uh, well, Marvel actually did, uh, did hit on it. You put out a movie that could possibly be a shared universe. Sure. Like Iron Man. And you hint that there's a bigger world. And if it does well, you have a launching point. Uh, they didn't know if The Mummy with Tom Cruise would do well. Sure. But they wanted to make it the launching point without knowing. And that was their real problem. Sure. You know, you can't do this thing off of test audiences and market research. You have to wait for the actual audiences to see it and for an actual critical reception. Well, I think the problem that's been run into and, you know, there's even talk about Blumhouse taking a stab at it with uh, with the shared universe next. Yeah. And, you know, they did the Invisible Man uh, movie, right. which I very much enjoyed. Oh, yeah, it was it was great. It was it was very much more like Hollow Man. Sure. Kind of Invisible Man than like. If you go back to the original Invisible Man, at least as far as stories go, uh, and the movie, it's very much more about, like, false sense of superiority. Sure. And in the original movie, uh, it was more of like a, I'm going to take over the world because I am superior to everyone. Sure. But I think the more Invisible Man movies got made, the more it became like, well, I'm superior, so I get to have anything I want. And it became a very much more personal level, selfish kind of villain. Sure. As the Invisible Man, it's like, I get to have whatever I want because nobody can catch me. Instead of being a greater, like, ooh, I'm superior, I'm going to take over the world thing, which was a very classic Hollywood kind of thing to do. Mm -hmm. Of course. But the mustache twirling villain yeah, kind of. absolutely. And so newer movies, newer villains are like, it's very much a theme in modern movies that villains are very much more personal. They've got a very specific vendetta against the hero. And I think that that plays well if you've got the, the heroes, like, you know, the audience surrogate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, having a personal villain, like, you feel like you're being personally attacked. Instead of, like, in this grand gesture thing, it's like, oh, American liberties are under attack. No, it's like, sure. no, this guy is stalking me in my own home, and I have to figure out how to find him. Well, and I was actually really thinking about, you know, you have this, massive cast of m movie monsters mm -hmm. and do you make them where they're fighting against each other do you make them some kind of like anti-hero characters and i've kind of fleshed out my approach yeah to that a little bit I, I did kind of do the same thing like the way i saw it was um marvel may not have seen it this way but i saw civil war as being a bigger culmination of the storylines going on in the multiple movies than anything else they had done sure because the people that you are invested in, by that point, you've gotten to know all of them. So the, my vision of the Dark Universe is by the time we get to the shared movie where everybody's involved, all of the major players are people we've already seen individual stories for. So mm -hmm. you're invested in all the peop major players on the scene. The villains had their own movie. 
the good guys had their own movie. The antiheroes had their own movie. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get to a shared universe film, you know everybody. Sure. So you don't have some surprise villain. It's somebody you already know the story and of. That's exactly kind of my approach as well, is that I don't think, you know, DC Universe, for example, mm-hmm. they wanted to like give you a Batman and give you Superman and then introduce everybody in these big ensemble movies. And you don't give a shit about any of the characters that way. Right. Because you're, you get like a 20 second introduction and then the rest of the movie is fight scenes. Yeah. Uh, it's spectacle has its place in cinema. Sure. I will absolutely give it that. Independence Day. Yeah, we're Day. not doing Scorsese over yeah. here. Independence Day was a good movie because of spectacle, but it was also good characterization for everyone you saw. Mm-hmm. Like there was an arc for your major characters, not great arcs, but <laughs> Independence Day was a sensational movie. But I think that's the thing is you don't need to have an over overly complicated plot, especially for something like the Universal Monster movies where oh, yeah. they're very simple kind of... Um, like morality tales that you're trying to tell. With oh these. yeah, absolutely. Every single one that I, uh, I, I tried to drill down like the theme major theme for each one mm-hmm. and what sort of turns that major character that we are following into the thing that they are at the end, not necessarily uh, the monster they are at the end, but the character we have followed through. Well, and what I actually looked at and started really picking apart was how did they become a monster? And there are two are very absolutely. distinctly different monsters. And that's what I wanted to kind of approach with my my cinematic universe is there are the mystical monsters, which are like yeah. the Wolfman, the creature from Black Lagoon, uh, the uh, Dracula. Those are mm-hmm. monsters that are of, of mystical or supernatural origins. Uh, things beyond human understanding that we cannot control. Sure. And then you've got the scientific or the sci-fi element of the universal monsters. You've got yeah. Frankenstein's monster. You've got the Invisible Man uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. D- Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, you know, the mummy is mystical. So there's definitely a... I was trying to find where the dividing line between all these monsters are. Yeah. And if you make it that basic that it's supernatural versus science, where you break it down. But then mm-hmm. you also have the elements of, like, that not everybody that's science-based is going to be the good guys. You need to have the, like, the hard turn. And that's where you get uh, the idea of you know, kind of the plot that I'm going for is the through line is going to be Van Helsing, mm-hmm. who's basically kind of an archaeologist, investigator type character that's exploring all these uh, supernatural stories yeah. from around the world and using that information because it's the idea that there's some truth to myth yeah, to try to develop new, uh, new sciences and new, new. All right. So you're going for more of an updated version of the story. Modern. Yeah. It's okay. a modern take. But it, but with the ability to with the start of it, the through line is that um, you're telling like prequel stories of all these characters before you build up right. to the to shared universe point. So you're gonna okay. have the Dracula movie, and you're gonna have the you know the Mummy movie that are gonna be informed by you know I I don't want to have a Mummy movie that's not set in the, like the 1920s or 30s. I want to have that classic kind of style and I can, to it. I, I can follow you with that one. Uh, what I did more for mine though was that the original. Not necessarily the sequels, but the original uh, Universal movies happened. And that all of these are the sequels to those movies. Okay. So the original movies happened, but they're not necessarily going to be talked about or flashed back to very much. So you still have the original films happened. And then all of the movies that in my universe kind of share in the mythology. Okay. So you don't have to be super hardline with the canon, but it is definitely considered. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it this way. 
everyone knows Dracula. Even if you haven't seen a Dracula movie or watched a, uh, or, or read Dracula itself, you know the Dra uh, Dracula story. Sure. Like, it's baked into our culture at this point. So my Dracula movie isn't a Dracula movie. It follows the Dracula myth. Okay. Gotcha. Stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas uh, I, I, these characters are, for the most part, considered myth. Um, Absolutely. Except for the ones that aren't part of myth yet that develop as time goes on. And that's where you got the Invisible Man, uh, yeah. uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm -hmm. where they're either accidents or people that, you know, like Invisible Man, like testing on himself kind of thing, Hollow Man style. Yeah. Attitude. Uh, and that's where the kind of line is drawn is, well, this Van Helsing is searching for monsters. His research and his findings are what is are creating new ones as well. So it's that mm -hmm. kind of the shared yeah. theme if, with that in the Marvel movies is that they're creating the the monsters that they end up having to fight with, like Ultron and right. you know Loki and Thor. That they create the problems as, what that they're as they're solving them exactly. And uh, so I definitely you know the the idea was to start with some individual movies that kind of informs you of what the different right. characters are, and then. Um, have a reason later that this Van Helsing that's kind of like traveling all over the world and researching these stories and trying to find what truth is to it. And the one thing I thought of was the Dracula not being seen in mirrors thing mm -hmm. and getting a hold of some of Dracula's blood and then kind of like fucking with it to a point where it, that was the basis of the research that turned the invisible man invisible. Was, okay. So was, you're connecting where these, weird science things come from yeah that it's basically messing with the stuff they aren't really capable of truly understanding and I of course that. when that happens things go awry see i've got something very similar with uh the uh all right this is a joke uh this is probably hokey as hell but i wanted mine to go uh as the movies go they are released in the same order as the original movies sure so the first one would be a jekyll and hyde movie we don't necessarily call it Jekyll and Hyde, but we we understand as we're plotting this. Sure. It's a Jekyll and Hyde movie. And that one comes out first because the original Universal had Jekyll and Hyde in 1913. Okay. It, it wasn't called Universal then, but it was it be, uh, sure. the studio house that became Universal started with Jekyll and Hyde in 1913. And that's going to be my first movie. Uh, it references Jekyll and Hyde, but it's uh, it's more of a modern day movie. Sure. And what goes on in that informs and affects the world. And then the later movies sort of fill in the backstory of the shit that's been going on that nobody understands because, you know, hidden world kind of sure. mythology. Nobody knows that there's like vampires and werewolves and Frankensteins out there. Um, but the Jekyll and Hyde uh, starts it off by just introducing that there's some stuff in this universe mm -hmm. that is just a little f a beyond human understanding. Sure. And it starts off with something simple. Jekyll and Hyde is simple because it's like a guy takes a drug and it changes his personality. That's okay. So everyone knows somebody who's on some kind of medication mm -hmm. for their, uh, for whatever, you know, disorder they're on. Sure. So Joe Jekyll and Hyde is just somebody who had an extreme reaction to some, uh, some medication. <laughs> right. Right. By modern terminologies. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so, like you still have the elements of, you know, self-testing and sort of like addiction and, you know, that sort of thing in the Jekyll and Hyde movie. But you you get the understanding that there's something 
about that that is not normal. It's not just a drug because the transformation isn't just personality. It's physical as well. Oh, almost like Wolfman? So if there was some sort of like derivative stuff from a mythical transforming creature, which I'm now mentioning my, you know, my take. Yeah, I think both of these are kind of can play in the sure, back, uh, backyard. So that's that's where I want to launch off from like a definite starting point and then like it's a soft entrance and then you can get weirder as the series, I mean they're all individual movies as the series goes on and then just like just these scenes that tell you, "Oh, they do occur in the same sure universe." But you don't need to see every single one to understand those references. Now, um, I if, um, need to remember this correctly, but in my launching point, if done properly, has already happened. Okay. So what I'm thinking is that when figuring out who to be, who's going to be in charge of the cinematic universe, the, the Kevin Feige, you want uh-huh. somebody that has a deep-seated appreciation for these creatures. Right. And you probably already know where I'm going with this. Probably. Yeah. And uh, so I figured, thinking about, you know, who's done some of these movies before, who's done movies that would be kind of like, uh, you can see a natural progression to doing Universal Monster movie. Yeah. And I swear, The Shape of Water is the best creature from the Black Lagoon movie that you could make. Right. That, like, you don't even have to, you could have that as a backdoor entry into a cinematic universe. And the thing I've is, I've got a uh, lot of words about Bl- Creature of the Black Lagoon to come. You know, we'll, okay. We'll get there. But, um, I was worried about the studio stuff because that is Fox Searchlight that did Shape of Water. Yeah. But with Universal owning the properties to uh, Universal Monsters mm-hmm. um, and now Fox Searchlight being owned by Disney, there's another thing that is weird with distribution rights between uh, between Universal and Disney, and that is distribution for The Incredible Hulk because <laughs> they were involved with the original Ang Lee Hulk movie and still have yeah. distribution rights, I believe, which is why there isn't an, another Incredible Hulk movie not a solo one. Not yeah. a solo one. So the idea is that you play nice with us, we'll play nice with you. Okay. Basically. And so you get them to kind of like re like retcon the shape of water into like the first entry into the dark universe as the creature from the Black Lagoon movie. And you're putting Del Toro in charge. Guillermo, yeah. Okay. So certified monster fucker. Definitely. Uh, in charge. I mean, All right. yeah, okay. like so. And uh, also, I thought about who could play the creature, and I'm like, well, it's got to be Doug Jones, and well, yeah. he played the creature he in The did, Shape of Water, did. so... I mean, Doug Jones in The Shape of Water is just pretty much a more animalistic version of Doug Jones in Hellboy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's Abe Sapien who eats cats. Yeah, if you want a fish person, you get <laughs> yeah. the guy that's played a different fish people in two different movies. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's, he's absolutely great. And I do think that Guillermo del Toro doing a shared monster universe would be a beautiful thing to behold because he truly understands what the, sh- what the sheer root of almost every monster story is, is that the monster is just a human. Yep. Just He's misunderstood. A person, not necessarily misunderstood, but definitely feared by society. Mm-hmm. And why are they feared? Because they're different. And Guillermo del Toro has actually spoken at length about this: is that the monster is something to be pitied, and something to be um, there's uh, something to be loved, because they're just another human being who has been outcast, who has been segregated who has been shunned mm-hmm. and all they need is love to be human again. And that's and something... it's like, you know, beauty and the beast kind of stuff. Sure. 
And that's what Universal's been missing with these previous, like Dr Dracula Untold and I Frankenstein and shit, where they're trying to make them into these big epic action, action movies. movies yeah. And they're not. You can have action elements, especially with like the mummy and stuff. You could definitely do some stuff. Yeah. But I mean, Brandon Fraser uh, era mummy movie. That was fun. It was. I've, it, but I've come to appreciate it more now than I did then. Here, here's the thing that I, I got to say about that one is I think Universal took the wrong message from the Brandon Fraser mummy movies. Okay. Um, they saw that we can take a Universal property, turn it into an action franchise and make money. Instead of realizing that the reason why we love that movie was because it was shamelessly campy. Oh, yeah. Shamelessly campy and was just fun. Like, it was a fun movie. It wasn't about the action. It wasn't necessarily about... It was like, partially about Brendan Fraser in that outfit. I mean, that helped. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan Fraser, Oded Fair. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Arnold Vosloo. Like, name any other Arnold Vosloo movie where he has been that fucking hot. <laughs> you can't, all right? Um. I think the major problem that they took away from that was that we can just turn our horror movies into action movies and we can make money off of it. And that's that wasn't the message that they should have been carrying away with sure. it. Uh, so much for market research. Well, and then when I started looking at my version through the lens of it being what I want out of a, a universal monster, like cinematic universe, where it's these tragic characters with like elements of like gothic noir kind of thrown in there and there there's drama and yeah there's a little bit of action but it's really more about these characters yeah and i started thinking about who would play these roles and it was like common sense yeah it took nothing to figure out who these different actors or actresses were going to be i think the major theme that i was going for when i was ma uh, making mine wasn't so much about like humanizing the monsters but as making sure every single major character that I wanted out of the movie felt damaged. Sure. Like, it is damage. It's not necessarily society, like, shunning you. It's the damage that made society shun you. Yeah. Which is why I think one of the, the first movies that I wanted to make was The Man Who Laughs, because that movie is all about, like, a guy who has just been absolutely discarded by society, tortured literally tortured by the the oligarchs in charge and then he has to exist in a world that they own i yeah. wanted that to be very clear that this guy did nothing wrong and he was punished by people who just wanted entertainment sure out of his suffering so like i want all of my universal dark universe monsters to have the audience walk out of there disturbed. Nice. Uh, I think, uh, what was that saying? Art should uh, disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Perfect. That's what I'm going for. Excellent. With me, I was really trying to figure out how to motivate all these characters to be eventually on screen together. I was, I was definitely considering that one too. And as I was breaking that was them a down, challenge for it to come off naturally. You know, I, yeah. earlier on an episode that we did for Halloween on Smack My Picture, I did a solo where I mm -hmm. came up with a super campy reason why all the slashers ended up, yeah, in the same verse. And you use the Necronomicon. I've already read it when yeah. Bruce picked her up from the bar. Yeah, and then boom, Bob's your uncle, really easy. But that those are so campy intentionally that right. you can have something that cheesy as a uh, all right. And this is where my order of uh, release is very important. Okay. So the first one being Jekyll and Hyde, 
you get your major character who's experienced this drug that changes them fundamentally into this completely different entity. Mm -hmm. So they understand that there's a division between one self and the other self. So they become sort of crystallized in fighting the other. So the second movie that releases is The Man Who Laughs, who is a guy who's been tortured by society itself. Mm -hmm. So his mission becomes destroying that society. Sure. So now you've got the leader of the two factions established without having to say so. Nice. And the rest of the movies is about working in all of those other characters into one faction or another, and you don't necessarily know which faction is which until the shared movie. Okay. So you're not really sure who's on what side until you get to it. Until they're actually on the battlefield about to throw, uh, throw hands. And for some of my characters with like the Jekyll and Hyde character and also, you know, the invisible man, those are going to be characters whose arcs start before they are the monsters that they end up being later. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It just, it makes more sense for the character. Yeah. Also, you're looking at invisible man. That movie was like 80 minutes or 70 minutes long. Yeah, it was it's a very not, short film. It was not much, but origin stories are important. I just don't feel the need to rehash the original orange origin stories. Sure. Yeah. And so, that's why, you know, there's some movies that I do want to have like some, you know, back in time kind of storyline. Which works. Uh, yeah. That works for some of them. But they don't have to be the same story arc as it could be, you know, a few years later after, you know, the yeah. time that we know from the original Universal yeah. Monster movies. But this is just like the Marvel movies aren't completely beholden to the comic books. Right. I don't need these Universal Monsters to be beholden to the original, you know, literature that they came from. And that's fine, too. Yeah, there's elements of that that are definitely used as the, the tapestry. I mean, but... you, you can't argue with the fact that Francis Ford Coppola doing Dracula was very much a departure from the book and the original movie, but it worked for his version of Dracula. Sure. And that's what's more important. What works in this movie, in this version? And I think with uh, Guillermo running the, my cinematic universe, mm -hmm. I think he has such a reverence for these original films and these monsters that he yeah. would give proper homage to the original movies while still kind of putting his own spin to it at the same time. And while I respect Guillermo del Toro and his like reverence for the, the monster, I wanted to go in a different direction and I wanted somebody who is going to direct the, uh, direct the universe itself, uh, be somebody who sees what is truly horrifying about the monsters and bring it into stark reality that this is not necessarily supernatural, that they could be a monster in the real world without having supernatural abilities sure. involved. So I went with somebody who is probably one of the modern masters of making social commentary through horror and monsters. I'm going with Jordan Peele. Okay. I'm not mad about that at all. Yeah. And yeah, I think he would definitely have a more like kind of grounded approach to what right. these creatures are. I say that as the guy that made us, but I mean, <laughs> sort of... the, the thing about it is, is that he, yeah, there are fantastical things that happen in his horror movies, but mm -hmm. you still see what social commentary he's going for sure. in his horror. Us is, yeah, there's a, there's a message there. And if mm -hmm. anybody hasn't seen it or read up uh, some of the analyses on it, you go, just do yourself the favor and really read into that one or into get, uh, into, um, get out, get out. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. They are brilliant. 
Absolutely. in their commentary, not necessarily in the text, but in the commentary that the text provides. Well, I think there, yeah, with him, I think it's less about it being without plot holes necessarily, so much as making sure that the message is being conveyed properly. And yeah, I, I think, think too many people get caught up on like minutia, like plot holes is like, oh, it ruins the movie. Did you enjoy it at the time? It depends on what kind of movie you're trying to make. If, yeah, if you're doing something like Get Out, that story you don't are you really worried about like the why they're doing this uh, you know because that that's there's a throwaway line that's mentioned yeah that explains it but and for me that was enough there i didn't really need any more than that because it was representing a much bigger conversation right i think the metaphor can sometimes be just as good as a, any kind of solid sure uh explanation in universe yeah it depends on just kind of the tone that you're going for right. but um so you're doing uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele's Dark Universe. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you're definitely getting a le little bit more uh, uh, um, socially conscious and dark. Yeah. yeah. Like, if I go through these and I put, uh, get my major themes across, I hope you you feel a shiver. Okay. Like, just describing. Well, then let's start um, quickly, because, yeah, we've got so much ground to cover yeah, in a short yeah, period yeah, of time yeah. here. Get into kind of like our angles with different creatures and then we can kind of break down who we decided to like cast for those characters okay. and, and kind of break it down a bit. So I've got Garamond Del Toro, you've got Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. um, what, what monster do you want to start with? Uh, well, I already said my Jekyll and Hyde and my Jekyll and Hyde. man who laughs. Okay. So if, but I did have a Phantom of the Opera, uh, just because I think it's one of the classics and sure. Often not thought of when talking about universal monsters, but it is, in yeah. fact, yeah, a universal yeah. monster. And, yeah, also, you know, Jekyll and Hyde and Man Who Laughs. So I've got a couple of different ones that you don't have, and you, you decided to sure. take two separate movies for Frankenstein and Bride. Sure. So, you know, mix and match. Um, did you have an order on which, on how you wanted them to come out? Well, I guess as you kind of describe how the things are going to be interlinked, you can talk about maybe tonally what the different monster movies are going to have. Okay. Um, and then kind of explain who you have for the character, explain the movie, and then uh, and then kind of interlink them as you go. Okay. I guess it's the best way to go about it. Okay. Um, so like I said, my first two movies uh, kind of stand separately from each other. Sure. And if you were plotting out to do a universal, you know, universe, um, you don't want necessarily that the first two movies are directly linked because then you're just sort of like softballing it into the audience. Mm -hmm. So it's a marketing strategy as well. Sure. But the first one I wanted to do was Jekyll and Hyde. And again, I don't necessarily want the titles to be, you know, obvious that this is a Jekyll and Hyde movie. Mm -hmm. But the first, uh, first one being Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and I, I did go a little further. I did like want individual directors because I want a theme going with each one. Sure. And the directors kind of inform on sure. that theme. So for the Jekyll and Hyde movie, I want the director to be Patty Jenkins, who's done the Wonder Woman movies. Mm -hmm. And she also did Monster with Charlize yeah. Theron. So she can do disturbing mm -hmm. as much as she can do action or, yeah. you know, comic book movie. Um, and I want the Jekyll and Hyde character, the, the person who is actually experimenting on themselves and, you know, transforming into this other creature to be played by Christina Ricci. Okay. Um, I know I'm, most of your audience is probably going to know Adam's family, yep. you know, Black Snake Moan and, you know, Casper um, <laughs> but I like that that she can play definitely a character that can you know be happy-go-lucky like Valley of the Dolls kind of stuff or she can be you know dark and disturbing 
And also, I, you know, you say what you will about the Casper movie, and I would probably agree with you, but th- it was the first movie to have a full CGI character. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, Christina Ricci is my Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and the, the, the major themes I want going through it is that her taking this drug or whatever substance it is, is an addiction for her. It is self-harm. Like, it is way for her to control her universe in a way that is ultimately destructive towards her. Sure. And that's kind of the turn of the character. Uh, the original book, you know, Jekyll and Hyde dies at the end. And it's sort of a mystery as to what killed him or where he went. But I want this Jekyll and Hyde to survive. But not necessarily obviously survive. Uh, but very much clear that her life is worse off for making this groundbreaking discovery. Yeah. Um, even if she doesn't understand that as she's running the experiment. Okay. Um, there was a, there was a re, uh, an attempt to remake it in the 90s, but it was told from the point of view of Jekyll's like housemaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Julia Roberts was in it. Oh, Mary Riley. Yeah, doing the absolute worst Scottish-Irish yeah. accent I have ever heard. Incredibly forgettable movie. Yeah. And be, well, it's ultimately dull. You don't see the monster. Mm-hmm. You just see the after effects. Yeah. And it's like it's like watching Cloverfield and never getting to see the monster. Yeah, you've got to have the reveal. Right. Even Jaws, you don't see the, the shark for three quarters of the movie, but there's still the reveal at the end. Exactly. You see him. That's it's important the money shot has to happen. Mm-hmm. So um I don't want to go as so far as to have like three quarters of the movie, you know, not have sure. hide in it, but I do definitely want a different point of view character than necessarily Christina Ricci. But Christina Ricci's character as Jekyll and Hyde is the one that survives the movie and moves on into the greater universe. Okay. Um, so how does that start to connect to the next film? Like, are they all going to be separate to start and then you kind of have work one yeah, story that pulls them all together? Or? It's more about like in the beginning, the first few are very separated. Okay. And the further along it goes, the more they have crossover. And that's kind of my approach as well, is that, yeah. you know, there there is going to be crossover at the start, but not with everything. You know, yeah. th- there's going to be some team ups, much like the Marvel movies, where there's usually like one, maybe two of the other main characters that pop in for a little yeah. bit or are part of it. Yeah. Like, I want my Jekyll and Hyde to happen in the 1950s. And she's sort of this independent woman uh, existing in, you know, the 1950s in America, that's not exactly looked well upon for a, for a single woman to exist independently yeah, and to, you know, be a doctor or a researchist or, you know, like make money. Um, so that's part of her struggle is that she's trying to like make a mark, but she's also trying to remain independent. And you sure. know, it's like this, this person versus society kind of story. And for me, I wanted, you know, Van Helsing to be the, the agent Coulson of this universe where instead of it being this one character that binds them all together and it's a side character, put that more in the forefront that you make this basically like an Indiana Jones type character that he goes on all these crazy adventures and runs into all this crazy shit because you know, of his, of his job. Yeah. And then you have that at going against all these classic, you know, monster myths. Okay. Uh, And so, what what it would start with would be you know the creature uh, from the Black Lagoon that you have that backdoor intro into right, the right. Shape of Water, uh, which is already introduced and doesn't come into play in the first like the next movies. Yeah, that's kind of a like a surprise follow through that that's part of it. But uh, the main deal is that there was a 
person that was visiting in Transylvania that um, that went mad and mm-hmm. they you know got a sample of his blood. Yeah. And that's what ends up being developed into the serum that makes the Invisible Man. Okay. Uh, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's more that Van Helsing has been commissioned to go out and research, you know, where where the myth ends and the truth starts. Yeah. To figure out exactly, you know, if they could get more information about, you know, what infected this dude. And okay. So him being a, a historian and uh, and scientist in his own right, kind of man wears many hats. Yeah. He's uh, going out there to kind of like discover the history of you know of dracula and you know which which mm-hmm. in in this dracula is a myth like people know yeah. of this character dracula and so as he's researching you know he comes across what a person that may be a relative of the old dracula mm-hmm. and then you know meets him and then there's the like cat and mouse game kind of thing happening and it, it eventually gets revealed that this is not a relative of this is this is dracula. this is dracula yeah okay who's been, of course, like, faking his own deaths and then, like, willing his money to his descendant for... Highlander style. Yeah, exactly. Hundreds of years doing it. And uh, Dracula knows that his survival was based entirely on uh, on this not being found out. Right. And so all of a sudden there's a lot more eyes on him than there ever has been. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he needs to, you know, quiet this before it gets out of hand. Right. Um. And so for, for Dracula, I was trying to think of who would be a good choice and a person that's worked with Guillermo del Toro before on uh, Crimson Peak. Yeah. I decided to go with Tom Hiddleston as Dracula. Oh, yeah. Now, here's here's my major question on Tom Hiddleston's Dracula. Okay. Does he have the mustache? The mustache? The book-accurate mustache. Or is he more Bela Lugosi? It's more that... There's going to be flashbacks and such, but the modern version of is going to be more kind of like modern gentleman, you know, with uh-huh. a classic kind of a Hannibal Lectory kind of approach to the character okay. than than anything where I'm smarter than you kind of yeah. attitude about everything, and it's just which is yeah extremely yeah extremely graceful, um, very formal in his approach to things okay. with this like secret monster hidden inside, all right, kind of vibe, and uh, then as that goes, you know, they're they're this. Organizations researching multiple means, multiple myths to find the science behind it. So you've got, uh, you know, the the Wolfman mythos that kind of leans into the Jekyll and Hyde thing a little bit. You know, yeah. there there are there's causes and effects. You know, monsters created from monsters, kind of an approach right. uh, that science be- can become as just as monstrous as anything that happens in the, the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracula is going to be basically the head bad. Yeah, you know, he's the thinking that makes sense. Uh, immortal monster. And then you've got, you know, the mummy, which is supernatural, which is kind of out of the hands. That's like kind of the incredible Hulk of this cinematic universe. Can't be really controlled by Dracula. Yeah. Also, you know, may, if it fits, you know, his whim might work alongside with Dracula, but it's not, there's no team up there. Yeah. That's, so it's more trying to manipulate. I mean, Dracula's hundreds of years old. The mummy is thousands thousands of of years years old. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the the creature, which is just really like this, this sea demigod. He's a sea demigod. Yeah. yeah. That uh, I'm not quite sure how to incorporate, ex- mm. except maybe that these creatures being captured or being, you know, utilized. And Dracula is now seeing this organization as the main threat and wants to basically kind of like kill or, you know, help escape all these creatures yeah. to stop, you know, humankind from getting too powerful. I got a thing to touch on with that one. Okay. So, yeah, Dracula is going to be Tom Hiddleston. For the uh, creature, we got Doug Jones, of course. Of course. 
uh, then it goes into Frankenstein's monster, and that's more just about, you know, that's going to be an ancient story. Like, this happened, you know, 100, 200 years ago, uh-huh. the Frankenstein mythos, and it's more like through the research they found Frankenstein's old, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's old journals with... Some Not a doctor. Mr. Frankenstein. Oh, sorry, Mr. Frankenstein. <laughs> That's right, he didn't finish middle school. Middle exactly. School, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But also in that uh, process, they also, you know, that I think Dracula ends up finding the actual Frankenstein. So there right. would be kind of like a son of Frankenstein kind of vibe mm-hmm. with modern science trying to use Frankenstein's old journals to recreate the original Frankenstein, right. who at this point is now hundreds of years old and has been mm-hmm. living in, uh, was it the Arctic Circle, I think? Yeah. At least that at that point at the end of the story. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so for Frankenstein, you go with uh, the dude that's in all of Guillermo's stuff if he can help it. Uh, Ron Perlman as Frankenstein's monster. I can absolutely see that as like the grizzled old falling apart a little bit. Frankenstein's yeah. Monster. Absolutely, I can see that. Uh, then we've got the Wolfman. That that's its own side story that doesn't have any other kind of creatures besides him and Val- Van Helsing trying to basically hunt down this uh, this Wolfman creature. Right. In the wild, and I thought it would be really interesting to see what Tom Hardy could do in that role as the Wolfman. As the Wolfman, yeah, I I could see him. He's kind of like a pit bull and that's mixed what with an elf. I was kind of looking at somebody that's maybe a little more stocky, a little shorter. You know, yeah. you you know, you want when him he's standing next to tall ass Tom Hiddleston. You know, their their yeah. size difference is going to be very noticeable, and you want that. You want to have some variation there, right? Uh, then of course the mummy. It's like a no brainer. Remy Malek. Oh yeah, I mean, you. I yeah. wanted to cast like an Egyptian or, or you know, of an Egyptian descent actor, and uh, also he's already played a, a fucking pharaoh before yeah. in Night of the Museum. But he's also an incredible oh, yeah. actor, very good. Um, so I think he, he would be able to do a lot with that role. And uh, then the bride, ha- having worked with the not yet released Pinocchio movie with Guillermo del Toro, the goddess. I adore her to no end, uh, Kate Blanchett as the Bride of Frankenstein because she's got a very, you know, the oh, yeah. the Bride initially is this like gorgeous but like eerie, almost elfish type person that then yeah, gets, ethereal, ethereal, and so like Kate Blanchett can absolutely do that, but she can also look right. a little bit otherworldly at times as well. So and you know, covered in blood. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So and then of course uh, Van Helsing. I could th- think of no one better to do in this version, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Van Helsing. I mean, you know, if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> I do. In fact. I, I, I know you do. Um, I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I just don't think he gets challenged enough. Sure. Uh, I think he can do great things. I think the majority of the movies that he gets cast in, uh, he's sort of the same character over and over again. Sure. And that's disappointing to me because I know he can do better. Okay. But I think Van Helsing, there is going to be... I think that is a very different character for him. Yes. Because Van Helsing is very much more... Like, as long as he doesn't play it like his Sherlock, I think it'd be a good character. No, and I don't want him to play it that way necessarily. I want him to have more of, like, some neurotic nature to him as well Mm -hmm. because he's already seen some shit. Like, the original Van Helsing character is a very warm and fatherly kind of character Mm -hmm. to uh, Jack Seward. And I think he should be that kind of character. I think he should attempt to sort of like, you know, empathy his way through more problems than mm-hmm. straight action movie. Yeah. 
And I think that would be the real difference because most of the time when you get a Van Helsing character, they end up trying to turn him into an action star. It's like, no, that's not what I want. Look at the original Van Helsing. What was he? He was a older mortal man against an undead demigod. And he almost died multiple times. He didn't go charging after Dracula, like teeth out. Mm -hmm. He went trying to, you know, cut him off at the pass. He tried to get ahead of him and multiple times got shut down. They didn't have, he didn't, he wasn't directly conflicting with Dracula. In the end, Dracula got stabbed by a Bowie knife with a really dumb Texan who died soon after. <laughs> like, that was what Dracula uh, uh, happened to be. Van Helsing survived the party, whereas well, most of them died. And that's, I love those movies where if you look at the brass tacks of what went down, mm -hmm. the hero of the story, where in this case I would be like Van Helsing, whether they showed up for the party or not, it would have happened the exact same way. Where yeah. it, they're, they're, put up as almost like this hero character in the way that the story is being told. Right. But literally nothing would have changed. Yeah. It would have ended up being like self-destructive in nature. And that's what brought yeah. them down in the end, their own, you know, their own ego or whatever the, the story is, it would have ended up ha happening the same exact way. So I, uh, I see Benedict Cumberbatch almost being like the, the, uh, journalist in the book world war Z where yeah. he's going more to like do research and figure out what's going on. And he ends up, in the middle of all this craziness and just literally by by lifting up the rug to see what's under uh, under there or you know checking out what's hiding in the shadows not as a action hero but as a you know researcher that's enough to spook this the scaries in the dark yeah from... and i think i think that version of the character would be a lot more accurate to the original lore mm -hmm. and also would be a bigger a, a much better challenge for benedict cumberbatch's range sure now uh so that's the basic, uh, because we are running very long so far, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we do that. Uh, the basic gist is that the, the Invisible Man formula is uh, derived from one of Dracula's victims. Mm -hmm. First story is, of course, you know, with Van Helsing, I wanted it to be Dracula. Yeah. The first, like, considering the universe, you know, yeah. story. Um, and then that translates over into, like, the, the Wolfman and Jekyll, and Jekyll and Hyde stories as well, and they kind of become concurrent. Uh, there and then you've got the Frankenstein movie that is kind of hinted at a, in some context uh, during either the Wolfman or Dracula movies a little bit uh, as far as just like the you know in the research labs conversations about yeah. you know the stuff that they're looking for that they need um, they're they're working with formulas that like revitalized uh, dead tissue you know with Dracula and uh and then the journals of Frankenstein get found and, you know, mm -hmm. then basically re they're trying to ultimately uh, create immortality okay. is, their, is their end goal um, at the end of the day. And so there's so many different methods. There's Frankenstein's method. There's Dracula's method. You know, um, there's and uh, they have a number of different contracts. The invisibility ends up working out relatively well for military contracts kind of deal. Yeah. So um, ultimately, the the main through line is this lab that Van Helsing works for and the the drugs and and weaponry and uh testing that they're creating and you can do a lot of body horror there yeah League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to it kind of yeah all right um sorry right. for yours all right so we started off with the Jekyll and Hyde with Christina Ricci and then 
The next one would be The Man Who Laughs, uh, directed by David Slade, who you'd remember from Hard Candy, 30 Days of Nights, oh, sure. uh, Black Mirrors, Bander, uh, Snatch. Okay. All right. All right. And the th- major theme being there, like racism, classism, uh, a really healthy dose of splatter horror kind of thing going on. Because what I want for the character to do is to sort of explain the torture that they went through and why they became so revolutionary against like society as a whole. Mm-hmm. All right. And the actor that I wanted to play that is somebody who can appear youthful uh, and can throw up a really big smile, but like with the right kind of prosthetic work mm-hmm. could make it look horrifying. Okay. So I went with uh, RJ Seiler. Uh, you might re- remember him. He was uh, Billy in the rebooted Power Rangers movie. Okay. Yeah. He's very lighthearted in that, but he's also was in War Machine with Brad Pitt, and he was, uh, he's, in, he's got a great role in Black Lightning on the CW, if you've ever seen it. Uh, he's a good actor. And the thing is that this character is going to get carried through uh, till the end of the series, mm-hmm. uh, but the original movie is set in the 1800s, and you're supposed to be wondering how he's still alive. Sure. Because he's just a guy who got mutilated, right? Yeah. And as the movies progress, you kind of find out more and more about this guy's story after the initial story mm-hmm. in The Man Who Laughs. And I want him to like really explore the space of like he this was done to him because he's a black man in a white nation. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it could be set in America or England in the 1800s. Either one, not a great place to be. Sure. So then we move on into a more modern movie with my version of Dracula. Which isn't necessarily about Dracula. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Dracula book, you find out that Mina gives birth to a kid who has received blood transfusions from all of the men of the party, but also she had the blood of Dracula in her at the time. Mm-hmm. So how fucked up is that kid now? Yeah. All right. So my Dracula movie is actually the descendant of Mina Harker going through puberty and what that vampire blood has done to her entire family. And it's kind of like ginger snaps, but with vampires. Okay. All right. Ginger snaps, like for horror nerds, everybody, you know, that's a horror nerd knows ginger snaps. Yeah. For the uninitiated, it is a uh, girl's coming of age tale told through being a werewolf. Yeah. So (laughs) it's, it's a fantastic movie. So I kind of want that kind of feeling uh, a little bit of like teeth, in it, maybe. Okay. Um, you know, just this idea of the the female character who is going through body changes, and anyone who tries to like take advantage of her is going to deeply regret it. Sure. But the again, not necessarily called Dracula or daughter of Dracula or some stupid shit like that, but just sort of like alluded to. Alluded to as yeah. like she's a descendant of some kind of vampire, right? And it's not until later on in the movie that you find out that the vampires who are trying to find her and take her away from her family because her family keeps disappearing when they come of uh, after they come of age is actually the descendants of the brides of Dracula. Okay. All right. Nice. So this Dracula movie would be directed by Matt Reeves, who uh, directed oh, Let yeah. Me In. He's directing the new Batman movie sure. with. Yeah. And he did Cloverfield. So he knows how to do build up and then reveal. Sure. Uh, 
but for my like descendant Matt of Reeves, Dracula. He did uh, the the Apes movies too, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, and those yeah. were incredible, works incredible of CGI. Films. Well, I mean, good films in their own right. Yeah, period. but and and he definitely do used motion capture to its uh, full effect, sure. uh, casting great motion uh, actors. Oh, the and, best. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so my version of the descendant of Dracula or the descendant of Mina Harker, whichever you want to call it, uh, would be, uh, I always forget, uh, mess up her name, uh, Hayden Pet uh, Pettiteer. yeah. Yeah. Uh, people wouldn't recognize her from Hero. She's the cheerleader. She's in Nashville. And she was uh, still a little kid when she was in uh, Rem Remember the Titans with she Denzel was Washington. Great for her age. Yeah. Remember the Titans. Yeah. I, and she's got that youthful kind of appearance that she could be anywhere from like, 15 to 35 and you it's know, mainly and I, I actually read an article about it it's because she's got a shorter torso yeah so she's got kind of like a childish <laughs> kind of look proportions yeah yeah uh the, and, and again it's sort of this long-lasting cult that could stretch back to when the man who laughs originally became who he was all the way into the modern day and you can have this cult be affiliated with either side of this shadow war sure i've got a phantom of the opera uh, movie in there uh, directed by Barbara uh, Koppel she directed Havoc which is like her major like actual theatrical movie but sure. she does a lot of do documentary work okay um, but Havoc is a beautiful movie about like uh, somebody messing with a culture that they don't understand and being deeply 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 disturbed by it so uh, that never happens yeah so the actress that I wanted in this movie that gets carried over into the other ones would be Anne Hathaway, who was in Havoc and mm -hmm. has worked with Barbara Koppel before. She's been in Les Mis. She was in the uh, uh, she was Catwoman in the uh, uh, the Nolan trilogy. Sure, and she was in, um, in Princess Diaries. But I think the most important thing to note here is that she was originally going to play Christine Daae in the Phantom of the Opera with Gerald Butler. Oh wow. And it was due to like scheduling conflict that How young was she back then? Because that was what, like, oh, four. I want to say. Yeah, that came that, this was this was soon after her big splash into uh, movies. Uh, but it was I think it was her uh, scheduling conflict with uh, one of the Princess Diary sequels that prevented her from doing Phantom of the Opera. OK. And that's why you got the ac actress that you uh, Emily uh, Rosam played the character instead. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Anne Hathaway's proved that she can sing like a like nobody's business so i want a phantom of the opera movie where she plays christine Daae. okay but in this version uh you go through the first third of the movie thinking that we've got to save christine from you know eric the phantom but then they kill the phantom in the first third uh, first act of the movie and then the second and third acts are all about how no she was actually in love with him and he was doing everything he could to propagate her career and killing people pretty much at her like not so much request her whim her approval okay uh and you find out that all the people that the phantom killed had abused and harmed christine not just like canceled her career but sure. like abused her and the phantom was actually acting as her guardian angel and the 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 quote-unquote you know hero types killed eric and in the process scarred christine and then she becomes the new phantom that carries on into the other movies okay so the th major themes being you know like there's consent and reversals of fortunes uh a really heavy allusions to john cocteau's uh la belle and the bet uh be a beauty and the beast from uh from the 1940s okay like heavy heavy <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> references if i can make it 
Uh, so you've got that uh, those characters, and then you move on into Frankenstein. And this Frankenstein is not going to be about like the origins of Frankenstein. This is going to be like the after effects of uh, Doctor of uh, Mister Frankenstein and his monster, because the major point of view character is going to m- mostly interact with the bride of Frankenstein, who in the books was created at the monster's request because he wanted a companion. Sure. Because society had had, had like. He had all this potential to be a great being, and then society, you know, couldn't accept him, so he became a monster because of society's rejections mm-hmm. and because his creator didn't love him enough. You know, heavy incel themes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if you put it that way, yeah, definitely. So this Frankenstein movie would be directed by uh, Dee Rees. Uh, she did Pariah, Mudbound, Bessie. Okay. A, a, some really great movies, very heavy on the themes of race. Um which is going to kind of play into this because, you know, you know, Frankenstein creatures, Frankensteinian creatures are kind of a different species of human. And, but looking at the old pictures of the original actress who played the Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. I got flashbacks to Marissa Tomei. I love her, period. Yeah. So. so I want Marissa Tomei, but in kind of like that Kenneth Branagh era Frankenstein kind of makeup to make her look like horrific or alien enough mm-hmm. to where like... The captivating beauty that is there is sort of like made alien. Sure. But still have like the white streaks of hair, like give the very obvious reference to the original universal Mm -hmm. version. Um, But a lot of it is going to be more about her conflict with the Frankenstein monster that is still alive, that still like thinks he owns her. Sure. So then becomes more of a story about like escaping domestic abuse and like the trauma that this character has gone through. So you have these moments of these deep, unsettling, destructive rages brought on by being reminded of the her abuser. Sure. And that character becomes sort of like a very big vanguard against like the other monsters who are trying to like dominate and control the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you come to The Mummy, uh, which is uh, the remake in 1999 had some story beats that were not there in the original movie. And I was wondering where that all came from. And then I remembered this movie that I had been exposed to back in my teens that is utterly freakish. And it came out one year before and has that element of the mummy is going over to people and taking their body parts and rejuvenating his body so he can become immortal and powerful. Mm -hmm. Like that is wholesale ripped off from a completely different mummy movie and universal used those same story beats in their remake mummy movie. (laughs) So So it's it's a film that was inspired by the mummy, the original mummy movie. Then the mummy remake is stealing from Jesus. So my dark universe mummy movie is going to give credence to that and give the director seat to Russell Mulcahy who directed tale of the mummy that they stole from Jesus. Uh, he also directed Highlander resident evil. Uh, uh, one of the resident evil movies. I forget which one, but he is also one of the major directors for the teen wolf TV series. Okay. So he's not a hack. No. <laughs> and I w- wanted to make my mummy character in this one, Jason Scott Lee, who was the mummy character in tales of the mummy. So you're just like handing the keys over yes, to, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fair um, enough. But most people will recognize Jason Scott Lee as the man who played Bruce Lee in Dragon, Tale of Bruce. Uh, oh, the story, okay. Bruce yeah, Lee yeah, story. Yeah. 
Uh, he also uh, was one of the major voice actors in Lilo and Stitch. He was in Soldier, uh, the Mulan remake. Most of this movie is going to be about mourning and loss. And that's what the, uh, the mummy is after. He's trying to reclaim the lost parts of his life that he's sort of like been deprived of because he's become an immortal. But it's still sort of a shadow sequel to the movie that, that got ripped off by Universal. Yeah. Uh, you got The Invisible Man, which is going to be uh, a lot of fascism is going to be a big theme in this one. The director is going to be Tony Kay, who directed American History X because <laughs> fascism. Yeah. Ta-da. Incel Frankenstein, an alt-right uh, Invisible Man. Uh-huh. Uh, you can... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm. When I said heavy-handed with, yeah, the, yeah, with yeah. the human monster theme, yeah. Uh, but the major point of view character I want played by Jason Bateman, who is in Arrested Development, Dodgeball, Smoking Aces. Okay. If you've ever seen him try to do dramatic, he's like, actually Out of very all the talented. movies Jason Bateman's done, you pull out Smoking Aces. I love that movie. No, I love that movie too, <laughs> but just like, he, he, he was in Teen Wolf <laughs> too. Yeah. And? So, so if you want to talk, talk like obscure Jason Bateman movies. I, I will for days, honestly. But <laughs> I think he's got enough talent to do dramatic. But I want the character to be kind of like the bumbling fool mm-hmm. who gets pulled into this plot of like invisible man wanting to take over the world. And ultimately he stops the invisible man. But in the process, he himself gets tainted by whatever it was that turned him invisible. Mm-hmm. And he's not so much blessed, but kind of cursed with he's now invisible too Mm -hmm. but he's got an appreciation for what that kind of power can do to a man Mm -hmm. so will he necessarily become good or bad guy is left alone remain to be seen yeah but like by the end of the movie he has seen what it can do and where the audience is left wondering will he go the same way sure uh the wolfman movie uh would be directed by neil marshall who did a, his own Wolfman movie called Dog Soldiers, but he also di- directed... Loved Dog yeah. Soldiers. He also so directed uh, Descent and Doomsday. So he's he's got his weird kind of campy horror movies. Uh, this, and this one's going to be a lot more about body horror and the myth of civility, like the, the, the social contract, we all take care of each other, so that's why we have law and order. But like this Wolfman, uh, I want like there to be a society of werewolves and our point of view character is sort of getting pulled into it against his will, mm-hmm. much like the original Wolfman movie. Sure. And I want my Wolfman to be Oscar Isaac. You know, I was considering Oscar Isaac for uh, a couple roles. Because yeah. He's, he's just so good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, like he's, he's, he's uh, just one of the best and profoundly talented actors in working today. I don't think enough people understand just how deeply talented he is. Yeah. Um, so finally, we come to my last one in the separate movies, which is my Creatures of the Black Lagoon. All right. I kind of did want to do a continuation of Shape of Water. Okay. I'll admit that. He wanted to do a Creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. story. Um, the thing that I think the movie uh, grazed upon but didn't hit hard enough was the theme of like, all right, so the creature from the Black Lagoon um, is South American. Sure. Right? Uh, and they very clearly say they scooped this, uh, the, the, the gill man in Shape of Water from a river in South America. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got this government project that is like experimenting on this unwilling, 
creature from another continent. Mm -hmm. Do you know about the Tuskegee experiments? Yes, I do. All right. So my Gilman movie would be, it's again, the original Creature from the Black Lagoon was released in 1954. Mm -hmm. All right. The Tuskegee experiments were running at the time and they didn't stop until the 1970s. So my Creature from the Black Lagoon movie is set in the 60s. The Gilman thing happened and Shape of Water probably happened. Okay. But you've got the Tuskegee experiments being run by the same shadowy organization that experimented on the Gilman. Sure. Right. And this is going to be a Ryan Coogler movie. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, of course. Creed, Black Panther. Black Panther. Uh, was a uh, station. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the now you get to blend the creature of from the Black Lagoon with people being experimented on illegally by the U.S. government. So you've got some hints of uh, shadows over Innsmouth. Sure. Dagon, you know, yeah. oppression. Fish people. The swamp thing and nature kind of taking over and, and fighting back against man's hubris. So I want my uh, Gilman isn't necessarily the Gilman, but he is somebody who's slowly becoming one of the Gilmen. Okay. And I want him to be played by David o uh, Oyelowo. Uh, he was in Selma. He played Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Uh, he was in Come Away. He he actually has a very prominent role in Star Wars Rebels. He voices uh, Agent Callus. Okay. So he is, he's got a great voice. Yeah. And I think I want to hear that voice get monsterfied and like slowly transform into this creature of nature's vengeance against nice. what has been done to him. So those are my individual movies. Okay. And each one of them is going to have characters that sort of like drop in from the other ones. I don't necessarily have like the through line, which characters, and it's not always going to be the same character. I kind of like the idea that it grows organically and whichever character will most fit for the next movie will sort of present themselves sure. as it moves along. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a lot. <laughs> yes. But when you're doing a shared universe, that is part of it. And, right. you know, there's so many working gears that you have to have moving at the same time to get this type of thing to work. Yeah. And it can be very much of a challenge. And fortunately, there are movies that you can lean on to look at, you know, that were crossover movies from the original Universal Monster run where, yeah. you know, it was the same basically like four or five actors that played all the different Universal Monster characters. Yeah. Lon Chaney played all of them, you know, like so. Oh, yeah. Um. And so you have something at least to look to as far as like the the uh, the reason why they're in each other's lives, you know, the, all these exactly. creatures. And uh, so there there are means to do it. I uh, I got a couple of mashups here that have been suggested to be done Ooh, yes. with uh, with this. The first one I really like, and this is from uh, from Instagram. Yvonne suggested that we mash up the dark universe with the Breakfast Club. Oh God damn it! Yeah. And I've had some thoughts on this a little bit. Okay. Judd Nelson's the Wolfman. Okay, yep, absolutely. Um, Baldwin, Frankenstein. He's his father's creation. Yep. Um, Invisible Man, that's going to have to be the nerd. The nerd, yeah. Ooh, no, no, no. The outcast. The, the... Oh, what's your... Uh, Ali Sheedy. Yeah, yeah. Ali Sheedy. Uh, so the nerd's going to have to be... Ooh. Phantom of the Opera. Phantom? Okay. Yeah. It's heavy incel themes there. Yeah. So we got Wolfman. We've got, uh, we don't really have a Dracula. I mean, Molly. Molly is a vampire? Vampy, yeah. That's, I mean, also, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay yeah. with that. 
then uh, for Dracula, I mean, I guess it's got to be the the principal. Make Ooh, him the villain. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Um, the janitor oh. is Dracula. <laughs> That's the way to go. No, the Dracula is obviously the hunchback from Notre Dame. Ooh, nice. Quasimodo. Ooh, no. The principal, the vice principal is the mummy. <laughs> He's okay. The old guy. Yeah, the old guy. <laughs> Perfect. Dracula, we'd have to throw a, throw a new character in there, I guess. Just I guess. Somebody else for the breakfast club. But yeah, you have it like my, you can even use my storyline to start where there's like that, there's a, a lab that's doing all these tests and the, this is their like... <laughs> There's Saturday, like, community time. I mean, I got. would absolutely watch Monster... Uh, well, there is a Monster High. Damn it. Yep. I just want to see the mommy be like, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, and doing the, the fingers. I mean, it, the very different bull. Which, yeah. which one's the Egyptian god that's a bull? Uh, eh, doesn't matter. No, but... Um, so, yeah, that's very doable, but that is a very different tone than either one oh, of yeah. our versions here. That is a hugely different that's movie. A, the, Teen, teen romantic uh, like romp comedy kind of vibe to yeah. it. Uh, then we've got from uh, from Mike Reiser, of course. Uh, Mike uh, mentioning on Instagram the idea of us mixing this up with cats. I refuse. Yeah, you nope. mo- you're a living monster yourself, <sighs> Mike, because uh, that is horrifying. Damn it. Uh, basically, all you have to do to make it like cats is that have all the size of the stuff around them changes depending on the scene. So. I mean, Dracula's okay. castle at some point is Look, this massive thing, and sometimes he is about half the height of the entire castle. I don't think it would take a lot of imagination to give every single movie monster its own musical dance, dance, number. dance number. And then you just make the uh, competition that they're all involved with be, you know, whatever form of immortality suits them. What, what was it in Cats? It was the uh, the name of, like, They heaven. die. They yeah, fucking die. The name die. of heaven, and it's like the... Other side something. I forget what they call yeah. it. But. They're all singing so that they can die. All right. It's a death cult. All right. <laughs> so fine. Universal movie monsters are singing because they want to die. They're all immortals and they want to be taken there out of their go. misery. Yeah. Ta-da. And yeah. The closest thing you could just have straight up like uh, one of the numbers from cats with Wolfman doing it. And it basically the same thing. Yep. <laughs> Damn it. So yeah, that that's an option. Um, Dr. Jammin suggested uh, that Russell Crowe was a great casting for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in uh, in the Mummy movie. Debatable. Uh, but mix that with the nice guys. So specifically a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde v- via the nice guys, the uh, Shane Black, I believe, directed movie with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Why do you make me do these things? So like a buddy comedy, but the, the buddies are the same dude. <laughs> Where you've got... Russell Crowe with the voice of Ryan Gosling in his head. I've seen me, myself, and Irene. I'm Basically, good. yeah. Me, myself, and Irene, the buddy cop movie. But one has, like, superhuman strength. I'm into it. I'm super into it. You're a masochist. There, so. <laughs> in fact, and, you know, the weirder you get, the more happy I am. Yep. Uh, those are the mashups. Now, apologies for running a little bit long here, but this is a big, big, uh, big, 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 big thing big to one. take on. We are down to the tail end here where we've got our trailers that we're going to be breaking down. So this, for me, it's got to be just like a teaser trailer. I can't get too deep into it because there's so much to cover. Yeah. It's going to be a 20 minute trailer if you really try to get the gist of all the stuff that we're doing. So you really can't. This is more just a teaser than I'm doing. I mean, you could do just do the teaser for the joint movie. That's what I was kind of going to lean towards. Okay. 
but instead of trying to explain like how all the universe worked to get to the point where they all met together, just like a vi- light teaser. The trailer assumes everyone's seen the movies. Exactly. So from the 18 films that have brought us to this point. <laughs> I have nine. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> mine's a little bit longer drawn out because of money. But yeah. Well, you know, always. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Let me get the music. From the director of Shape of Water, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Crimson Peak, and producer of the strain and scary stories to tell in the dark is a culmination of the scary stories that kept you awake at night for the past 100 years. The Universal Monsters are back, and they are sharing a dark universe with only one man to stand in the way between them and total world domination. Join Frankenstein's monster, played by Rob Perlman, Tom Hiddleston as Dracula, Tom Hardy as Wolfman, Remy Malek as Mummy, Doug Jones reprising his role as the creature, and Kate Blanchett as the bride, sizing up against Van Helsing, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. The world is going dark. Universal Monsters and Guillermo del Toro. Dark Universe. Not your usual levels of zany. I'm actually surprised at your restraint. <laughs> I think it's more because I was like, fuck it. I don't have to really explain the story at all. Yeah. So that that's that's usually where I go, um, I don't know, that's shit. Fuck. And then there's stuff. <laughs> shit happens. Yeah, right. Yeah! <laughs> this is just a little teaser, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, as long as it's not directed by Joss Whedon, I, I think I'd watch it still. <laughs> right. All right, are you ready for your uh, your version here? Fuck it, why not? All right, might as well get it going. Yep. Right, so let me get the music going. The world you live in is a myth. There is another world beneath it. A dark universe. This summer, see the culmination of Universal's Dark Universe. With Christina Ricci, R.J. Seiler, Jason Scott Lee, Jason Bateman, Oscar Isaac, David Oyole, Anne Hathaway, Hayden Panettiere, and Marissa Tomei. Face off in the darkest universe. Nice. Yeah. When you said uh, in the darkest, I immediately finished it off with timeline, but that's what we're in currently. Yeah. So that's not quite the same. If if we were in the better timeline, we actually would have had a dark universe that worked. <laughs> that's fair. But no, we're in the darkest timeline, so we get the fucking Tom Cruise mummy movie. God damn it. Ugh. You know, when you're looking at I Frankenstein, like, oh, it could be worse. <laughs> then <laughs> they pretty made bad. worse. Yes, they have. I had this long diatribe, especially about that movie and just about Universal's continuation of that franchise alone. And it is just, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Honestly. Damn. Well, what breaks my heart also is uh, saying adieu to our listeners here. We have uh, got, you know, a supersized episode Definitely. talking about all the different uh, Universal monsters, their individual movies, how they culminate into a shared universe movie. And uh, hopefully... When whatever happens to make that cinematic universe happens, um, if it's not our idea specifically, I hope at least tonally 
they pay a little bit more attention to the tone of the original Universal Monster movies. Yes. And try to shy away from the weird action movie bullshit that they've been trying to do before. So. Right. Um, so that's my two cents on that one. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to rate, review, uh, subscribe to Smack My Pitch Up. Check out the other shows on the Geeks Under the Influence Network. All that info's at GUIPodcast.com. And we'll see you next time for a, a non-spooky episode. This is our last Halloween episode. No! I know, but trust me, there's still plenty of horror to uh, be spread around after the Halloween season, so we will have more for you in the future. So check that out. Remember to subscribe. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Hey guys, Scotty Big Daddy Preston here, that's right, the Geek Father, asking you to join me here every other week with friends and family of the GUI Network as we go through all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So remember, join us or cry.